Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Equip You Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about something that has been on my heart and mind for a while, and it's the fear of God and the fear of man. What is the fear of God, and what is the fear of man? And how do we fight the fear of man with a greater fear of God or an understanding of the character of God revealed in the Word? And one of the reasons that understanding this topic is so important as we start out today is it's going to help us in our evangelism. It's going to help us in our discipleship. It's going to help us as we engage in apologetics. In other words, understanding this topic has so many ramifications for just about every area of our Christian life, as we're going to see today. In Proverbs 9.10, we discover the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If that is so, then the fear of the Lord is never to be feared. This fear is not a barrier to our growth in Christ, but a breakthrough to growth and eternal fulfillment. But the word fear needs clarification, doesn't it? After all, doesn't the Bible say in 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out fear? Yes, so there must be two kinds of fear. One kind of fear is the fear that shrinks from the Lord in dread, that cowers before him, that turns away from him in terror, as if he were the problem, right? That kind of fear is pagan, though. It's not Christian. It has nothing to do with glorifying and enjoying God. It is suspicion. It's resentment towards God. The gospel does not create this kind of fear in our hearts. The gospel shows us the glory of God's grace in Christ and lifts us up assured and fearless to face life boldly as men and women of eternal destiny. If you are not in Christ today, you fear the Lord in all the wrong ways and you don't fear him enough. The Bible tells you that you are facing a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries in Hebrews 10, 27. If you are not in Christ, you are God's adversary headed towards judgment and you fully deserve it. But he is freely offering you Christ as your shelter. And you need shelter for many reasons. Here's one. Without Christ, you are all you have. Arthur Allen Leff of Yale Law School, a brilliant unbeliever, put it bluntly. It looks as if we are all that we have. And given what we know about ourselves and each other, this is extraordinary, unappetizing prospect, he says. Looking around the world, it appears if all men are brothers, the ruling model is Cain and Abel. Neither reason nor love nor tear seems to have worked to make us good. And worse than that, there is no reason why anything should. If you're not in Christ, you are all that you have. That is something to fear. But Christ is a shelter for people who are in deeper trouble than they know. Turn to the Lord now. Turn to him right now, and he will receive you if you'll repent and believe and put your hope and trust in Christ alone. And here's the other kind of fear that we see in the Bible. 
Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. This is a new attitude of openness to God, created by His love. If you are in Christ, His perfect love is casting out your fear of judgment. Scripture says in 1 John 4.18-19, Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And so the punishment fell on our substitute at the cross. We have received him with empty hands of faith. We are under God's love now if we are in Christ. The gospel frees us from the fear that God will in the end condemn us anyway. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Romans 8, 38-39 says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We believe that, and as a result, we love Him. And so we fear the Lord in a new way. We fear that we might grieve the one who loves us so. This wholesome fear, Scripture says, is a teachable humility in Proverbs 15.33. It is a total openness to doing the will of God. It is repentance, turning away from evil, as we see in Job 28.28. It translates into simple, practical obedience to the word of God. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, The end of the matter, all has been here to fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's because the fear of the Lord is another way of describing trust in the Lord. But the word fear adds the connotation of reverence and awe. The fear of the Lord is the opposite of a glib shallowness. This humility doesn't mind total dependence on the Lord. In fact, the fear of the Lord is psychologically compatible with the comfort of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts 9.31. It is a new sense of reality with the living God rescuing us from a mere theoretical faith. This fear is sweet. It keeps us close to the Lord. The fear of the Lord gains an appeal as we agree with C.S. Lewis that in God you come up against something which in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. If we think we can live in a single day of our lives without staying low and humble before the Lord, submitting to his superior wisdom and drawing upon his endless provision moment by moment, we're deceiving ourselves no matter how brilliant we may think we are. But as soon as we accept that we are not the measure, but the measured, we are not the givers, but the recipients, and that Jesus Christ is the universe's greatest expert in all things, we embark on a wonderful new journey. We are free to grow and change. That's because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, the more that you grow in the fear of the Lord, you're automatically going to decrease in the fear of man. The, The greater fear displaces the lesser fear. To grow in the fear of God is to know who he is more deeply and more personally. Who he is is made known to us in the general way in creation, but in a special sanctifying way in the word. You see, as we grow to know the attributes of God, the names of God, the triunity of God, the eternal decree of God, the acts of God, there is a healthy, holy, reverential awe that swells and grows within our hearts. It is cultivated through prayer, through worship. It is cultivated by being with other believers who take God seriously. It is cultivated by time in the word and under the word, and even by hearing a sermon like Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. 
All of that together cultivates a reverential awe and a holy fear of God. Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Ecclesiastes 12 13 says, The end of all matter is this to fear God and to obey his commandments. And so the first step to entering into the kingdom of God is to fear God. All true and saving faith has in it the fear of God. No one giggles through the narrow gate. No one skips into the kingdom of God. We all come with a reverential submission to God, but we grow in the fear of God throughout our entire Christian life. We never outgrow fearing God. We go to worship. We go to adore. We go to love him more and more in our growth in Christ. And then the end is, above all, to fear God. So our whole Christian life is a progression in the fear of God. If you took the book of Proverbs alone and isolated all the different passages that talk about the fear of God, you would be able to see that it is part and parcel of our walk with the Lord. And therefore, the more that we fear God, the less we will fear man. In fact, as we work through the whole of Scripture, we're repeatedly met with the importance of the fear of God. We learn that it is wisdom in Job 28, 28, the beginning of knowledge in Proverbs 1, 7, hatred of evil in Proverbs 8, 13, a fountain of life in Proverbs 14, 27, and the whole duty of man in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Isaiah called it the church's treasure in Isaiah 33:6. Without dispute, it is one of the most important teachings of the whole Bible. And yet in saying that, it is one of the least understood topics that we could understand today. We, we do not come to an experiential realization of the fear of God until we first see our predisposition to what the Bible calls the fear of man. The scripture distills the totality of our spiritual experience into a series of easily grasped contrasts, light and darkness, wisdom and foolishness, old and new, life and death, faith and unbelief, and on and on. And not least among these is the contrast between the fear of the Lord and the fear of man. Our Lord Jesus highlighted this contrast when he said in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's because the fear of man is not simply the fear of the harm that men may do to us. Surely the fear of harm partly drives our desire to be approved by men. However, most properly, the fear of man is, as Bunyan said, the fear of losing man's favor, love, goodwill, help, and friendship. To put it simply, it is an idol of approval. We seek to avoid persecution because of the idol of approval, of comfort, of pleasure. These idols, they lead us to compromise in order to gain approval, to give in to wickedness in order to gain acceptance and peace. It puts us in a vicious cycle of idolatry. Miserable though it is, the fear of man is a soul's default setting. Is the fear of man something that ensnares only a few? Well, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3.18 that by nature, men outside of Christ have no fear of God before their eyes. However, even the godliness, godliest saint still has remnants of this fear of man in their soul. And at times, even believers choose to warm themselves at the fire of acceptance. Like Peter did in the courtyard outside of the place where his Lord suffered. Fearing man mutes our witness to Christ and keeps us from living for his glory. It keeps us from saying and even doing what is pleasing to the Lord because we would rather please men. And so what are we to do about this fear of man? How do we cast off the fear of man and lay hold of the fear of the Lord? 
Well, the prophet Isaiah gives us the gospel remedy here in Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2, when he says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, Christ, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus' life was marked by the fear of God. He never worried about what people thought of him. His singular goal was to bring honor to his heavenly Father. He never compromised for gain. He took the hard road of the cross to bear the wrath that we deserve for the sin of our fear of man. Jesus' heart was so full of the fear of the Lord that he was despised and rejected by men, Scripture says. And when we looked at him in faith, we received the forgiveness of our sin and the Holy Spirit with which he was filled. And when we trust in Christ by faith alone, the Holy Spirit begins to produce in us the fear which constrains adoration and love that consists in awe, reverence, honor, and worship. This is the reflex of our consciousness of the transcendent majesty and holiness of God, John Murray says. Why do we fear others' uh, disapproval so much? We all experience this fear, and most of us don't want to admit how serious its tyranny can be. The Bible calls this the fear of man, and it, and it can weave a web of ambiguity and around issues that are biblically clear. The fear of man can immobilize us when we should take action and gag us into silence when we should speak. It feels powerful, but its power is deceptive. That's why scripture says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And the Hebrew word here for snare, it refers to trap hunters used to catch animals or birds. Snares are dangerous. If we get caught, we must do whatever it takes to free ourselves. Only God has the power to free us, and he wants us living in the safe freedom of trusting in the Lord. But he frees us not by removing our fear of disapproval, but by transferring it to the right place. And typically, he frees us by helping us face our false fears so that they lose their power over us. Now, it's important to understand why our desire for approval and even fear of disapproval is so strong in us. That's because due to our sin, our weakness, perhaps traumatic past events, we might assume these things are merely consequences of the fall. But at the core, they're not. God actually designed us to be motivated by these emotionally powerful forces, for they uniquely reveal what we love. Each of us instinctively knows as creatures that who we are and what we're worth are not the things that define ourselves. We didn't create ourselves. We didn't choose our DNA. We didn't choose our intellectual and our physical powers, our families, our cultures, our early education, our time periods, or most other major influences. We're not autonomous. We're contingent creatures. And each of us also instinctively knows our existence fits into a larger purpose of our story. Despite postmodern attempts to convince us otherwise, it is impossible for us to create our own ultimate meaning. Deep down, we know such self-created meaning is absurd. And so we cannot help but derive our identity, our value, our meaning from external sources. Moreover, we instinctively seek them uh, from a, a, external personal sources because we know deep down they are bestowed on us by a person. The person to or persons to whom we ascribe most authority to define who we are, what we're worth, what we should do, how we should do it, is the person that we fear the most because it is the person or persons whose approval we want the most. 
God designed us this way. It reveals who and what our heart loves. This fear comes right from the place where our heart's treasure is stored, as Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 21. It is a fear of losing or not obtaining something we really desire, which is why it wields such power over us. And when we feel this fear, it can stir up an emotional fog and even a psychological complexity. But we cut through to the heart of things if we remember a simple biblical truth. We obey the one we fear. The person or persons whose reward of approval we desire most, whose curse of disapproval we most fear to receive, is the person or persons we will obey, our functional God. That's why the Bible so often commands us to fear the Lord as we see in Deuteronomy 10, 12-13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his statutes, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Matthew 10, 28 says, And do not fear those who kill, your bo- kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Both Moses and Jesus commanded us to love the Lord supremely. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, and Matthew 22.37 says, and both of them command us to fear God supremely. They're not mutually exclusive commands. They're two sides of the same coin. They're commanding us to seek the massive eternal reward of God's approval more than puny man's fleeting approval, and to fear the terrible eternal curse of God's disapproval more than puny man's fleeting disapproval. They're commanding us to direct our love and fear to the right God. The fear of man is a snare because man is a false God, but the fear of the Lord is safe because he's really God, as we see in Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man is closely clinging to sin that entangles our legs in the race of faith that we must lay it aside, as Hebrews 12, 1 says. How do we do this? Confess your fear of man. As soon as you recognize your fear of man, confess it as sin to God and repent. If possible, confess it to faithful friends who will help you to fight it. Question your fear of man. What exactly are you afraid of and why? Do you really have good reason to fear, especially in light of Matthew 10:28? Articulating your fear often exposes it as the pathetic thing it is. Courageously confront your fear of man. Acts 5.29 says, We must obey God rather than men. That's because obedience calls for courage. Courage is not the absence of the emotion of fear, but the resolve to obey despite what we feel. Exercise your trust in God by stepping out in obedience. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. See, trusting God is safe. Fearing man is not, as we see in Proverbs 29, 25. God usually teaches us this through the hard lessons of obeying in spite of feeling afraid. For then we learn to trust God's promises more than our perceptions, and we reach the place where we can say what Hebrews 13, 6 says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, today we've talked about the fear of God and the fear of man. And I, and I opened this episode talking about how the fear of God can help us in our Christian life. It can help us in our evangelism. It can help us in our discipleship. It can help us, you know, in our apologetic endeavors. But here's the thing. 
by by understanding the fear of God and putting to death the fear of man, what this is going to do is it's going to free us not to not to not have a filter, not to exercise. Uh, not to fail, I should say, to exercise the fruits of the Spirit, which Paul says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Those are the things that the Spirit is producing in our lives. But whether what understanding the fear of God and applying these scriptural truths to our life is going to do is it's going to remove the stigma of being afraid to speak because we're commanded as Christians in Ephesians 4, 15 to speak the truth in love. In 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, we're to correct opponents with gentleness. What is gentleness? Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And also, we're, we're told to be able to give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have and to do so with gentleness and respect. Again, a fruit of the Spirit is mentioned there. And we need to understand these things because the fruit of the Spirit is those things that the Lord is producing in our lives. He is taking the truths that we're reading and studying and that we're hearing preached on the Lord's Day from the Bible, and he's taking those truths and he's massaging the truth deeper into our lives, bringing conviction, bringing comfort, bringing help, equipping us so that we can go out and we can speak the truth in love. That's why we need to understand the fear of God. That's why we need to repent of the fear of man. And maybe, maybe today you're realizing that you've been fearing man, that, that the reason that you're so uh, afraid to speak up is, you know what? You fear man rather than you fear God. And what you need to do is you need to realize you, are, you ultimately live always before the face of God. You are in his presence. You are before his face. This is Coram Deo. And that all of your life matters to the Lord. The Lord sees. The Lord knows. And because of Christ, dear Christian, the Lord cares for you. He is your sympathetic high priest. He is the present help that you need, the the comforter, the, the one who comes alongside of you, the paraclete. And the Lord in every way, he's giving you his grace. He sent his spirit to indwell you and seal you. He sent you out with the message of the gospel of of the grace of God to make disciples who make disciples of the nations. In every way, you have the help of his word. You have the help of his grace. You have the help of his spirit. You have the help of the church. You know, if you're a guy and you're really struggling in this area, I want to plead with you to go talk with your pastor about why do you struggle in evangelism to speak the truth? Why do you struggle to make disciples? Why do you struggle to, to, to disciple your own wife? And if you have them, kids, men, and, and, and ladies, why do you struggle to, to speak the truth and love to other ladies? And, and more, these are just questions meant to ask the question, why are you struggling to speak the truth in love? Is it because maybe you you are fearing what somebody might say? You're, you're fearing that you might lose their friendship. That's a valid concern. But what is ultimately we need to understand at the end of the day most important? Is it the honor and glory of God? Or is it fearing what might happen when you don't know what's going to happen? Our job is to be faithful to the word. To be faithful not only to the word in, in our reading and our study of it, and, and in our sharing of it, but to be faithful as we're going out 
and sharing the word. It's not only just that our theology were to be shaped by the word, but we're, we're to be so shaped by the word. Like, like Bunyan, like Spurgeon, I mean, sp- spoke once of John Bunyan, that, that when Bunyan spoke, his, his words were so full of scripture. Uh, Spurgeon said of Bunyan that he was bubbling. We should be marked like Bunyan by our use of scripture. Our speech, our conduct, our witness should be so full of scripture and we should be so full of Christ in our, in our knowing of God personally and corporately and in our witness and our ministry that what people say about us is that, that, that brother, that sister is marked by an evident love of God, an evident love of other people as a result, and an evident love of Christ's church. And that love fuels, that love motivates them for the glory of God to make disciples, to evangelize the lost. That should be true of all of us. But here's where we need to repent. For some of us, we're so afraid to say what is necessary. Because again, we're afraid of what might happen. We're afraid of what if. We're afraid of losing this friend or that friend or how they're going to be offended. We don't know. What we can do is we can be faithful. We can be faithful to the word. We can be faithful in speaking the truth in love. And we can leave the results to God. And we can have those conversations with one another, realizing that if we're motivated by love for the Lord, if we're motivated by the teaching of Scripture, and we're sharing the truth in love, and if you're afraid, this is why Proverbs eleven fourteen says that in the abundance of wisdom, there's many counselors. It's okay to go to an older, trusted Christian. If you're a man, go to a man. If you're a woman, go to a woman. That's Titus 2. And ask, hey, how would you deal with this situation? Uh, they're going to want to know this situation. And listen. And then incorporate that godly wisdom from them uh, the, who have been there and done that. Uh, I can tell you, I still do this. And I've been walking with the Lord for three decades now. In ministry for two decades. We all need it. We all need older, for my case, I need older men to speak into my life to help me. I need my spouse to help me as well, and she does, uh, with my posts on social media and, and so much more. And here's the thing. By, by understanding the various ways in which you know you might be tempted to fear man, that doesn't mean that you're not concerned about other people. Being being grounded and shaped by the word means that we love people. We care about people, but we care most and supremely about the glory of God. We care about the truth, that we're being grounded and shaped by the truth. But we have compassion. We have concern. We, have, we are concerned that people understand the truth, that they're able to grow in the truth. And this is so important because we don't just... Uh, my concern about this is you might hear this and say, uh, Dave is saying actually that I can just say whatever I want to say to that person. No, our speech and our conduct and our witness are all from beginning to end and everywhere in between to be regulated and controlled by the scripture. That's why Ephesians 4.15 is in the is an imperative. It is a command given to us that because of the grace of God, we can obey. 
God, God tells us very clearly, here's the command, but here's the grace of God to obey that command. Here's the help of my grace. Here's the help of my spirit. Yes, I gave you a command. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, obey my commandments. The, there's grace there. There's the help of God's grace because in, in John 15, he goes and talks about the vine and the, the vine dresser, that, that we've been united to Christ by faith in his name. And because of this, we can commune with the Lord. We can grow in the Lord. And yes, he's going to prune us. He's going to grow us through the, the, through the good seasons, through the hard seasons. And one of the ways he does it is by addressing our fear of man. And so ask yourself, are you most concerned about what that person is going to say to you? Or are you more concerned about the glory of God? Because what happens sometimes is if we care first about how the person is going to respond, we're probably never going to speak the truth in them. But if we ask, what does God's word have to say about how this person is living? And then ask the question, how can I best relate the biblical truth to their life? That is a faithful way that that's concerned first, that what I'm going to say is truthful. And then next, how is that going to be? How am I going to communicate that message in love to that person? And both matter because that's what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4.15. We're to speak the truth, but we're to do it in love. Uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 2, very clearly tells us that we are to bear each other's burdens and thus fill the law of Christ. This is the outworking of the fruit of the Spirit at work in our lives. And I want to I share one last thing as we end this episode. You know, over the years, I have, I have, I have been good in a lot of ways, at being truthful. But I've had to learn through painful trials, through many failures, sin, in, in the way in which I've, I've dealt with difficult people and difficult situations. I have not dealt with them well. And by God's grace, I, I'm continuing to learn. One of, the, one of the reasons why I've talked so much about uh, having an older man to talk to about things and even other people as well is, is it helps. It helps to not just know, okay, here's the truth. You might know the truth, but then how do you take that truth and how do you speak it in love to that person? Because it matters both. I, I have been in meetings and the per, what the person said was truthful to me, but, but it, it wasn't conveyed in a loving way. And it hurts. It leaves a, a bad taste in our mouth. It hurts our heart. Um, and it leads to a lot of issues in, in our churches, and it leads to a lot of pain. Um, I've, I, I, I had to go through a process in the early 2010s of realizing this, of growing in this. Uh, and I remember one of my mentors saying, I never saw him have real challenges. But he said, Dave, I'm still growing in these things as well. And that that blew my mind because in my mind, he was one of the most godly pastors and and people that I've ever met in, in my life. Now, he wasn't perfect. He was still growing in grace, but I'd never seen him get angry. I'd always see him be gentle and, and all of those things uh, around me and around. And we worked very closely together. But for him to say that to me left an impression on my heart it, it, and a reminder that you know what? For all of my days, I better be growing in these things. I better continue to be growing in these things. And, and not only this, that what God wants to do in me, 
is he wants to produce the fruits of the Spirit. He wants me to continue to grow in love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And that means no matter how long you've been in Christ, whether that's a minute or 50 years, you're continuing to grow in these things as you read and study the Word, as you do life with God's people. There's going to be difficult people. There's going to be difficult situations. But there's also going to be good times as well where you can look back and say, you know what, that difficult person and that that situation, God used that, and, and there's a situation now where I'm equipped to be able to handle it. And I'm able to actually walk with somebody that is going through that themselves. And I can look back at that, and, and now I can say, now many years later, I'm thankful for that time in my life. Uh, that shows real maturity, by the way. And it shows growth, because if you can look back and you can say, you know what, there was a, I, I sinned in this area, I sinned in this way, but I've grown, I've addressed this, and I'm continuing to address this. Part of that is realizing the many ways in which we can be tempted, having an awareness of those ways in which we're tempted and to fail, the ways in which we're tempted to get discouraged and tempted and anxious and those trigger points, those things in our lives uh, that that can lead us to, to sin. And that's an okay thing because Proverbs 4.23 says that we're to guard our heart with all due diligence. John Flavel wrote a, f- a well-known book, Keep Gar- Keeping the Heart. And it's such a good book. Um, I highly recommend it, Keeping the Heart. It, it, it totally helps us to guard our heart, as Proverbs 4.23 says, with all due diligence. So that we can speak the truth in love so that we can deal honestly when we have conflict, when we have cr- face criticism. We can ask questions of those people. We can walk through those situations. We can agree to disagree in, over, over, uh, over non-essential doctrines. We can have discussions about areas of differences, all in love, not so that we are combative, but, but because of the love of Christ. We can uh, disagree with each other. And we can agree on the essentials. And on the non-essentials, we can have those conversations. You know, I don't have to agree with everything, uh, and I don't, with everybody. I don't agree with everybody that comes on this podcast. But we agree on the essentials. We agree uh, on on the the basics, on the essentials of the Christian faith. And on the non-essentials, we might disagree, and that's okay. Even among, even among uh, Reformed brothers and sisters, we can agree to disagree on a variety of matters. And we can still be Reformed. That's the thing. But we need to, we need to learn. We need to really, and I'm going to speak to this, to, to the reform, my Reformed brothers here and sisters. You need, we need to fear God, yes. But we need to stop fearing man. We need to put our fear of man to death by rightly understanding the fear of God. Because that's what Calvin was talking about. We need to have a knowledge of God, yes, but we also need to know ourselves. And that was Calvin's point in his Institutes, one of his major points. And by understanding the fear of God, that's how we're going to know our Lord. That's how we're going to grow in understanding who he is, how he's revealed himself. And that's how we're going to put our fear of man to death. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Equip You in Grace podcast. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. 
Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.